Good morning. Y'all have a seat there. So uh, welcome to Houston Church this morning. If you are visiting this morning, I want you to know that it is a rare thing that we have only one row of kids in the service. <laughs> Normally they're filling all this up, you know, but we've got a large group of kids currently at Cross Timbers Church down near um, Turner Falls, and uh, they come back tomorrow. How many of you have kids that are out there right now? Yeah, yep. Some of y'all have empty houses. Some of you have one less kid, two less kids, three less kids. Has it, say what? Is it peaceful? <laughs> um, so we have 50% of our kids gone right now, two out of four. And I, I'm just going to speak for me at the moment. I got a lot done yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's just the one kid that was here with us yesterday. It was just a handful, so I can't speak for my wife. <laughs> but anyway, they come back tomorrow, so keep praying uh, for them. It looks like they're having a great time, and fun is a great thing. However, don't miss the point. We don't want them to just go and have fun. 
We want that fund to be a catalyst for them to have open hearts to growing and knowing the Lord better. If they would have a great time at camp but then come back and not know the Lord better, then they can just go to any camp, right? So we want them to have both. We want them to have fun, but at the same time, we want the Lord to use that to break down some walls, to open some hearts so that they can hear the gospel, respond to the gospel if they're not yet believers in Christ or grow deeper in their relationship with the Lord. So as you think of them today, pray for them along those lines. All right. Hey, um, if you're visiting this morning, if you've never given us a connection card, would you consider doing that this morning? Two ways you can do that. One is in this bulletin. On the front side next to the Facebook logo is a QR code, same QR code that's up here. You can put your smartphone camera on that. It'll take you to an electronic version of our connection card. Or if you prefer a pen and paper option, then our welcome desk on the way out, if you just take a moment, give us at least a name, phone number, email would be great. And, and then, then we can get connected with you. You'll start to get some information. We, don't, we try not to overdo it. Right? But at least you can know what's going on in the life of this church and how can you be involved. If you have a family, how can my family be involved? How can we plug in and serve, grow together, those kind of things. And then along the way, if you have questions that, uh, about who we are, what we do, why we don't do certain things, all that kind of stuff, we'd love to visit with you about that. You can reach out to us any number of ways, phone, text, email. Um, we can schedule time to visit. Any of those would be a great, a great way to do that. All right. Also, if today's the day you choose to worship by uh, giving, the options are available for you at the back there, or you can always give online. And I'll say this, and I haven't said it in a couple weeks at least, so I'm just going to keep putting it out there because, one, I want you to know this, and if you call Heaston home, I want you to think like this. It is the joy and the privilege of those who call Heaston home to give. Right? So if it's, not, if it's not where you're at at the moment, if you're still visiting, if you're still assessing, you, you still need to be obedient to the Lord and however he's leading you, but you need to know that our expectations of you is not, we're not watching to see if you make it to a box in the back. We're not, we're not looking to see if your name comes across electronically. We want you to take the time you need to assess and to answer the questions that you might have. And if we can be helpful along the way, we want to do that. But at the same time, we want to acknowledge that it is a part of our worship to be able to give back to God what he's given us, right? And that's an, that's an act of worship because it's also an act of trust and faith in the Lord. All right, so that's available today. And then the only thing I have by way of announcements on this bulletin is this coming Saturday night, July 31st, is the ladies' game night here, 5 to 9. Bring a game, um, bring a, a dish to share. It's casual, informal, right? And you guys are, you ladies are just going to hang out. It's for sixth grade and up. So if you have uh, daughters who are sixth grade and up or granddaughters that you would like to bring, um, you're welcome to bring them, and it's just going to be a time to play games, all right? All right, that's all I've got by way of announcements this morning. I want to do um, what we've done the last couple of weeks. I want to read a prayer to you. And as I read this, it's going to be up on the screen. And see what you can do. Ask the Lord to help you internalize this prayer. Just because a prayer has been written several centuries ago doesn't mean that it can't become our prayer. And so as we read it, we can be saying, yes, Lord, amen, or yes, I want that, right? So internalize that as, as you're able O Lord, no day of my life has passed that has not proved me guilty in thy sight. Prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart. Praise has been often praiseless sound. My best services are filthy rags. Blessed Jesus, let me find a covert in thy appeasing wounds. Though my sins rise to heaven, thy merits soar above them. Though unrighteousness weighs me down to hell, thy righteousness exalts me to thy throne. 
All things in me call for my rejection. All things in thee plead my acceptance. I appeal from the throne of perfect justice to thy throne of boundless grace. Grant me to hear thy voice assuring me that by thy stripes I am healed, that thou wast bruised for my iniquities, that thou hast been made sin for me, that I might be righteous in thee, that my grievous sins, my manifold sins are all forgiven, buried in the ocean of thy concealing blood. I am guilty, but pardoned, lost, but saved, wandering, but found, sinning, but cleansed. Give me perpetual brokenheartedness. Keep me always clinging to thy cross. Flood me every moment with descending grace. Open to me the springs of divine knowledge, sparkling like crystal, flowing clear and unsullied through my wilderness of life. Amen. Yeah.
So we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in for the summer praying with Paul, where we have been tracing some of the the prayers that Paul prayed in the letters that he wrote with the goal of, one, better focusing our prayers if you're already a person who prays, but helping us to, to see how does Paul pray and how can we learn from him. 
in what we pray and how we pray. And then two, if you're not a person who has been um, disposed to praying or maybe you've had a hard time doing that, just hopefully letting you see in the scriptures, this is what it looks like when Paul prays. And, and it can give you some guidance as to here's the kind of things you can be praying for. And remember that the first week we started the series, we said pray for all things at all times, right? And so it's, it's not that anything is off limits, but then there are some things where we get into ruts when we're praying and we pray for this and this, but we forget about this. And so hopefully this is going to take us deeper and further in how we pray. All right, so we're going to be wrapping that up um, this morning with, I, I think, one of Paul's greatest, if not the greatest prayer that he has written down, at least, that we have, and probably one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. I can't say the greatest prayer, because how could I say that when Jesus prayed a prayer in John 17? You know his prayer's got to be the greatest one, right? But Paul's is one of the greatest ones in there. This one here, um, it's one of those that many of you, if you've, if you've been in a church for a while, you're familiar with at least part of it. But I hope that as we go through it this morning, um, you're going you're gonna to be able to, to see it a little more clearly, that it's going to help focus you in your prayer and maybe make you a little uncomfortable. And, and here's where I'm going this morning. Pray to feel the affection of God toward you in Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a little trouble writing that down because my bent is not to feel things. And that feels very warm and fuzzy and mushy-gushy to me, and that's just not me. And, 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 I, and I'm real, I'm real I'm cynical personally, and I'm, I'm kind of guarded when people have talked like this about their relationship with God. Because for me, I want it to be all up in the head. That's safe. Right? That's where I can control some things. That's where we can manage craziness, right? to at least some extent. But man, when you start talking like this, it sounds a little bit uncomfortable at the very least. And, and yet, I think you're going to see that that's kind of along the lines of what Paul's praying for this morning in, in the prayer that we're looking at. Now, now what I'm going to do as we go through, so, so this is what I, I, I hope that, that sticks with you. Pray to feel the affection of God toward you in Jesus. I hope that sticks with you, but, but I'm going to throw up a few other phrases throughout the, 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 the message here because what, I'm, what I want to do for you is as we go through these, four, uh, these, these few verses, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it's going to be easy for us to get kind of buried in all that Paul's saying because Paul does run on sentences like nobody's business. Right? And, and so it, when, when you, you're reading this, you're going, well, are we praying for this? Are we praying for that? How does that relate to this? And so I've got these phrases to use as anchors to help you see, here's the prayer. Here's the substance of the prayer. And then there's going to be some things that we're going to look at that are going to support that. In other words, Paul's going to be praying something, but then to support that prayer, he says, and here's what it looks like. So Ultimately, where we're going this morning is we want to we learn and we want to pray to feel the affection of God toward us in Jesus. But as we go through Ephesians, here's the first thing that we're going to see Paul praying for along those lines. He's going to ask for power. He's going to ask for power specifically by the Spirit of God. So we pray for power by the Spirit of God, Paul's going to say. So let's look at these first two verses, 14 and 15. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So we got to stop there. Like Paul has done oftentimes, he starts with this, for this reason, or now that. And what that tells us is Paul has said some things that has led him to the point where he's now voicing this prayer. We've got to understand, at least on some level, Paul, what's the reason? And so as you were to read through the letter to Ephesians, we saw the great prayer last week in, in chapter 1, right? But, but you see Paul talks about in, in, in the chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says, hey, talking to believers in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. God has given you all that you have in Christ and all that you need in Christ. And he then lists some of those things in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Uh, you've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You've been predestined to be adopted as children of God. You've been redeemed. You have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. You have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. These are the things that God has done for you in Christ, he says. And then he seats Christ at the highest place above all authorities, right? And then he goes into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he starts out and he says, but you, because Paul's writing to a church that's mixed. It's mixed in its ethnicity. It's mixed in its background. And by that, I mean you've got some people who are Jewish and you've got some people who are not Jewish. Those who are Jewish, they, they, they have a bit of a more familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures and with who the God of the Bible is. Those who are not Jewish are coming from different backgrounds where they've worshiped all kinds of other gods. And they're, they're now learning about this one true God who's revealed in the scriptures and through the teachings of the apostles. And you can imagine when you get a group together like that, we might say it this way, when you get a group of people who grew up in church and a group of people who they didn't grow up in church, they, they are now entering church as maybe older um, teenagers or young adults, right, in that time frame, you can imagine they've not learned the culture, They've not learned how to socially behave around one another. And that's not always a bad thing, but sometimes it can cause some tension, right? And so Paul's trying to help those who are coming from a non-Jewish background understand, hey, those practices, the way you worship those other gods, it does not have a place worshiping the true God. But he's also trying to help the church people, right? The, the, the people who are raised in church, the Jewish background, hey, your, your upbringing and your culture, your obedience to the law and some of your practices, they don't have to be imposed on the people coming into the church who don't have that same background. It's okay to meld together. Right? So, so you can imagine he's dealing with some tension, just like in the letter to Romans, which we've been working through. right? And so in chapter 2, Paul turns his attentions to the non-Jewish people. And he says specifically to them, hey, this is what it was like for you before Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly lived according to the, to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And he says, and by nature, you were children of wrath. But verse 4 of chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ. And he goes on and he starts to talk about how they've been saved by grace through faith. And they did nothing to earn that or achieve that. It was a gift of God so that nobody has room to boast. They are God's work in Christ. Right? And so he's, he's helping now to, to bring these two groups together. So then in later part of chapter 2, he now starts to talk to both groups specifically and say, and this is what God has been doing in Christ. And it's a mystery. 
And by mystery, he means if you were just reading your Old Testament scriptures, you would not have gotten the full understanding of what God intended to do in his Savior. And that is bring all people together, all nations together, regardless of whether you are a Jewish person by birth or not. But all people come together into one new group, the church. And Jesus is the head of that church. And so he starts to say to this, this group at, at the church at Ephesus that you are now being built together as a dwelling place for God. You are now being united together in Christ, right? So he's, he's helping them to see that God has been working through Christ through all of these, these ages to bring you together to this point. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, you'll see verse 1. If you have your Bible open or pulled up, look at chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with, for this reason, right? And then Paul kind of gets sidetracked. And he, and, he, and he starts to explain a few other things. And then in verse 14, he comes right back to where he was going, right? So in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, for this reason. Okay, hold on, Paul. So let me say some of this. Now, chapter 3, verse 14, back to my original thought. For this reason, he's picking it right back up. So for this reason is everything that Paul has said up to this point about what God is doing in Christ and how he's bringing people together from all different backgrounds and forming this new group of people, the church. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, that could be a, a reference to I, I'm bowing my knees in just bewilderment, awe, and wonder, and worship, and homage, and honor, right? It also could be a reference to prayer. I'm bowing my knees. I'm, I am going before the Father, and for this reason, I'm grateful, right? It, it's, it's, it, and it could be a combo of both of those. But for this reason, this is why I bow my knees before the Father. Side note about the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, depending on your translation, this could go one or two ways, and you'll have a footnote about this. Many of the translations will say every family, and it'll have a footnote, and it'll, you go to the bottom, and it'll say or whole family or entire family. Some of your translations actually say the entire family or the whole family. Either way, it doesn't change the prayer. I think it's better, personally, to go with entire family whole family, because I think it fits best with what Paul has been saying in chapter 2, where God is building together the entire building, he says at the end of chapter 2. And he's talking about this new family that God's building, regardless of your background. And if that's the case, then what Paul's saying here is that the entire family. So if you're in Christ, you're part of the family of God. And guess what? It doesn't matter what your background is. The entire family gets their name from, from God the Father. It's a unity thing as opposed to a separation thing, all right? It doesn't change the prayer either way. But I also, sometimes I'll give you that kind of stuff because I want you to become familiar with your Bibles. Those footnotes have, have meaning and purpose. And the Bible that you have in your hand or on your tablet or in your phone, it, if you're assuming you're reading it in English and, and you're not reading the original thing that was written, right, you've got a copy. You've got a translation, and, and it's a very reliable translation, but sometimes, as, as those people who are smartest in the languages that the Bible was written, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, right, as they're studying, they're having to make decisions too. They're having to look at what is the context here, because this could go either way. What is the context? Um, how is this word used in other places? How is it used in 
and when Paul uses it in other places, they're making those kind of decisions. And sometimes when, they're, when they could go either way and they're just going to have to pick, they're going to give you a footnote and say, or this. And, and you then, your responsibility, my responsibility is, okay, I just need to study it myself and, and I need to kind of see, well, how does it fit if it's this and how does it fit if it's that? And then to the best of my ability, humbly before the Lord, I just make a conclusion. And that doesn't mean I land on that conclusion for my life. I may change later as I study. But you are, you are free to do that. And the spirit of God that, that you have when you trust in Christ guides you in this. And so I want you to be able to become familiar with your, with your Bible so that you know what that's about. But in this case, either way, it doesn't matter. If it's every family, then what, what Paul is saying is God is the creator of all people. That's what he was saying. What he would not be saying, and this is important, is that God is the father of all people in the sense that all people are in his family. See, because oftentimes when you're in conversations with people, and, and, and we've done this ourselves sometimes, right, if we're being honest, we might say, we are all God's children. And if we mean by we are all God's children, we are all created by God, fine. That might be what Paul is saying here. But if we say we are all God's children, and what we mean is God brings us all into his family, and it's going to be okay regardless of the way we get there. So whether you believe in Buddha or Muhammad, or you practice the faith of the Hindus, or whether you believe in Jesus, we're all God's children, meaning we're coming into the family. That's foreign to the Bible. That's foreign to Paul. That's foreign to any of the writers of the, the, the New Testament, for sure, and the Old Testament. Paul is not saying that. So you, you have to at least think through that. And, and the way you would do that is, it seems like Paul might be saying everybody's God's child. Now, what could he mean there? Well, John 1, chapter 1, verse 12, John says, hey, to those who received him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And so when you go, oh, well, that's what John says. Only those who believe in Jesus are children of God. Well, Paul can't be contradicting that. That's how you, you, would, you would think through that, all right? But bottom line here is Paul's saying, hey, it's because of all that God is doing in Christ. That's why I'm going before him and bowing my knees before the Father, the one who the entire family finds fatherhood in. Verse 16, here's where he prays for power in the Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 16, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We're going to pause there and pick up the rest of verse 17 in a moment. So Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, and here's what I do as I bow my knees before the Father. I ask that according to the riches of his glory. Now that is a, that's a great phrase. According to the riches of his glory. A real, a, real, a real nice place to see this is in the book of the letter to the Philippians. I want to say it's chapter 4, uh, maybe around verse 6. And uh, Paul will say a similar phrase, and he says, My God will give you all that you need according to the glory of his riches in Christ Jesus. When Paul says, according to the riches of his glory, he means all that God is able and willing to give us in Christ. That's the riches of God's glory. When, when Paul says this phrase, he's thinking about chapter 1 likely, right? Where you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, you have nothing lacking that you need in Christ. 
You start thinking, ah, well, I don't have this truck. I didn't get this boat. That's not what he means, right? He means every blessing that God pours on you in the heavenly places. And he listed them for you, right? The stuff we just went through in the beginning. He's chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined you for adoption as children of God. He has redeemed you. He has uh, forgiven your sins by cleansing you in the blood of Christ. He has given you the spirit, which is a down payment guaranteeing that he's going to finish what he started. He says all of that is according to the riches of God. God's glory. It's in Christ. Uh, Paul will say it again in Romans 8, chapter 8, right around verse 31 and 32, that God will supply all that you need. But he says it this way. He says, how will he who has given his son not also give you everything that you need in Christ? This is God's riches in glory. And Paul says, I'm asking according to that. I'm asking knowing that God has not withheld anything that you need and he has has lavished upon you all these blessings. I'm asking according to his riches and glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I want you to clue in to these prayers that we've, we've been looking at at Paul. How often have you heard him or read him say, be strengthened, receive power, or that you might know this or increase in this by the power of the Spirit. You cannot function as a believer in Christ apart from the Spirit. can't. Romans 8, again, Paul would say, the mindset on the flesh leads to death, but the mindset on the Spirit leads to life. You cannot please God. You cannot live for God apart from from the power of the Spirit. And God, who is so good, He has got riches in His glory, and they abound on us. He has given us His Spirit in Christ. And now Paul says, I'm praying that according to God's riches, He may grant you to be strengthened and have power in the Spirit of God in your inner being, your inner person. He's, he's praying for you that, and, and for them and for us that, that we might be uh, strengthened in power by the Spirit of God in our inner person. Now, what does that mean? Remember I said there's a prayer, and then there's some statements that Paul says to help explain that prayer. The prayer is that you might be strengthened with power through His Spirit. The explanation is, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Is Paul saying that unless somebody prays for you, that you will not have Christ dwelling in your heart? No. As a believer in Christ, the moment you believe and you're converted, the Spirit comes, we can say Christ is dwelling in your hearts in that moment. What Paul is not, Paul's not praying that people are getting saved. Okay, that's that's not the prayer again. He's writing to a church, a group of believers. He's praying that a a group of people who are already saved might have Christ dwelling in them by the power of the Spirit. And that dwelling is a permanent, a deeply abiding, a a deepening roots type of dwelling, like that he would change the dwelling place. Now, when you move into a place, um, you likely do things to make that place feel more like a home for you. If you're a woman, at least for sure. Guys, maybe you don't. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe for you, it's like, do I have a recliner and a TV and it feels at home, right? I don't don't know. But, But you do things to make that place feel like your home, right? You move things around. Sometimes you move things around again. Sometimes you move them around again. 
Then you ask somebody else to hang curtains. Oh, sorry, too far, too far. Right, right, right. But you, you do things where, where you're trying to, to, to make it a home, right? That's the word dwell here. As Jesus dwells in you, Paul is praying that through power of the Spirit, that, 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 that dwelling place of Christ might become a home for him, that he might have his way there. What it means is life change. What it means is heart change. What it means is more and more my life is aligning with Christ. More and more my desires are aligning with God's. More and more my thoughts are being shaped by the mind of Christ. That, that Christ might dwell in my inner being means that he is shaping me and influencing me and having his way in my life. Paul says, I'm praying that God would do that, that he would strengthen you and empower by the Holy Spirit in your inner being, and it looks like Christ dwelling more and more in your hearts through faith. In other words, I can't make that happen. That's why it's through faith. The same way we are saved, the same way we enter into a relationship with God, a a saving relationship with God, is the same way I live my life and my relationship with God, by faith faith. I don't start by faith and trust God did everything necessary on the cross of Christ for me to enter into salvation and then work and live like it all depended on me. If you do that, you may have missed the whole faith boat to begin with, right? If, you're, if that's your understanding, you don't quite get grace because grace means it was given to you freely, unearned, nothing you could do to deserve it, and that doesn't change after you get saved. We still live by faith, which means I depend on Christ. I depend on the Lord. I lean into the Holy Spirit, and I follow him. That means even if it makes no sense to me, but this is what God has said I should do, I do it. Even if it's not what I want to do, um, as as was taught to the youth this morning, um, it's, it's not about what's immediate. It's about what's ultimate, right? Sometimes what's immediate is what I most want in the moment. But sometimes living by faith means I don't take what's immediate. I don't pursue what's immediate. Instead, I live my life by faith, trusting that God knows what's best and what's ultimate is my goal. It's not about my pleasure now. It's about the eternal pleasure I have in the presence of God. Paul says, that's my prayer, that you'd be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he prays for power. The second thing he prays for, as as we're thinking about, remember, pray that you feel the affection of God toward you in Christ. That's that's what we're looking at. How? By by asking the Spirit of God to give you power and strength that Christ might dwell in you, that he might make a home in you. Why? So that you might know the vast love of God. Look how he says that in verse 17. So we're going to pick up with the second part of verse 17 there. That you... So verse 17 said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now some, some, some more prayer requests here. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. All right. So, so Paul has said, now I'm praying that, 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 that Christ will dwell in you, that you would have power of the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in you. That you, and now he's going to describe the people he's praying for. You have been rooted and grounded in love. He's not praying that they will be. He's saying they already have been. That you, because you have been rooted and grounded in love. How does that happen? You are in Christ. I'm rooted 
and grounded in the love of God in Christ. Paul would say in Romans 8, again, he would say, hey, there is nothing in all of creation. And he would go through a list, things high, things low, things deep, things wide, whether, whether that's principality, so evil spiritual beings, right? Or, or whether that is governments or whether that is anything else in all creation, which includes us, because I'm part of creation. He would say, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When are you rooted and grounded in love? When you are in Christ. And he's writing to a group of people who are in Christ. And he says, so I'm praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength. So another prayer for strength, but this time to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And then he doesn't tell us what he's talking about. He just says, I'm just praying that you will be able to comprehend this vastness But the very next verse helps us to know where he's going. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we'll look at that last part next. Paul's prayer here in verse 17, 18, and 19, he's prayed for the power of the Spirit to strengthen you in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in you. As that takes place, Paul says, I'm praying because you've been rooted and grounded in love. I'm praying that you can comprehend the vastness, breadth, length, height, depth, the vastness of Christ's love. And I'm praying that you would comprehend that in a way that surpasses knowledge. Remember, pray that you feel the affection of God toward you in Christ Jesus. I can study theology, read books, I can read the Bible, and I can learn about how God has shown his love to me. I can read Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God demonstrates his own love for you and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I could read John 3, 16 and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I could go to 1 John 1, chapter 3, and it talks about how God lavishes his love on his children. And I can look at some of the verses that we mentioned earlier that where it talks about God doesn't hold anything from you. And I, can, I could describe to you the great, great love of God. I could write papers for you. I could, I could encourage you with words that describe the great, great love of God. But Paul's not praying that you and I or these Ephesians would just increase in knowing intellectually about God's love. That doesn't change people. There are lots of atheists who could describe, after reading the Bible, this great love of God towards his people according to the Bible. Whether they believe it or not, they can say, here's what the Bible teaches. The Christian God loves his people. That's what Christians believe. And they could describe all the ways that the Bible describes God's love towards people, God's love toward the world, God's love towards creation. They could do that and do often. And that's not what Paul's praying for. Paul's praying that you would be strengthened, that I would be strengthened by the power of the Spirit in my inner being, that Christ's roots within me would go deeper and deeper so that being rooted and grounded in love, I might comprehend, I might start to grasp the vastness of God's love for me in Christ and that that would go beyond knowledge. Pray that you feel the affection of God toward you in Christ. Because when you feel, when you experience, when you know experientially that love, it changes you. 
And if you've ever been loved in that kind of way in this life, even though it would not be perfect in God's way, if it's a type of love that sees you, and if it's a type of love that wants the best for you, and it's a type of love that points you to the Lord, that kind of love changes you. It heals you, right? And Paul is saying, I want you to know that kind of love that God has for you in Christ, and it's so vast that you need the power of the Spirit to help you grasp it. Pray that you feel the affection of God toward you in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not all mushy-gushy, right? But let me ask you have, you, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, help me, to, help me to feel your affection, your love for me in Christ. Have you ever prayed that? And if not, why? Why? Is it because I, I don't feel like I can pray a prayer like that? Because that might get me off into emotions and emotions are dangerous. And yet I'll remind you that God created emotions. You have emotions because God created you to have emotions. Should you follow your emotions in life to lead you? No. Following your heart is terrible advice for life. Terrible. Because my heart is deceptive, deceptively wicked. It, it, it will deceive me in every way. But if I have emotions given to me by God, they must be there for a reason. And one of the highest reasons, if not the highest, is that I might feel the affection of God for me in Christ. And that it would surpass knowledge. That it would be my experience. And then lastly, what's the result of that? So we pray for the power by the Spirit. We pray to be able to grasp the vast love of God so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. That's the, that's the prayer. Remember I said these statements are going to help you kind of track the, the primary points of the prayer. Paul's saying, I, I pray that, that God would give you power in the Spirit, in your inner being, so that you might grasp the vast love of God so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the prayer. Everything else is supporting that prayer. Here's how he says that. The end of verse 19 there. Remember, it's that you might know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what? What is Paul talking about? Paul uses this phrase, filled, and fullness of God often. And it's a way for Paul to talk about being mature in Christ. It's about our spiritual growth. It's, it's, it's as I'm filled with all the fullness of God, as more and more of me is surrendered to the Lord, as, as, as Christ has his way in me, and, and more and more I'm a, I'm a dwelling place for Christ, right? As that takes place, as I'm rooted and grounded in love, and as I start to comprehend the vastness of God's love for me, what happens is I'm being filled with all the fullness of God. I'm, I'm maturing, I'm growing in Christ, you cannot grow in Christ to all that God has for you if you don't grow in grasping the vastness of God's love for you in Christ. That surpasses knowledge. It's why I think you have lots of people who have a lot of Bible knowledge, but when you get to know them or when you see the way they interact with people, it doesn't line up. And you have people that turn away from churches because they say, I don't believe in organized religion. 
What they might really be saying is, I like Christ, I don't like his people, right? Because there's a, there's a disconnect there. And listen, Bible knowledge, I've hammered this home week after week, Bible knowledge alone does not equal maturity, and it does not equal intimacy. You can know a lot about God and still not know him. And the goal in life and the goal in all that God has done is that we might know him. That's why Paul in Philippians 3 says, my aim is that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. We talked about that knowing last week. It's not like intellectual knowledge. It's like Adam knew Eve and they gave birth to a son type of knowing. It's the intimacy, although not with all of the physical stuff, right? It's, it's that, that, that relationship type of knowing. You cannot be filled with all the fullness of God if you are not grasping by the power of the Spirit the love of God for you in Christ. If it's simply knowledge for you, you will stop growing at some point. And you will know that. On some level, you will know that. You will know I'm not close to God like I should be. And you will either do what is necessary and, and be humbled before him and, and go before him and, and repent of whatever needs to be repented of and you will ask him to, 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 to help you grasp his love for you or out of pride, out of fear, you will stash that away and then you will start to overcompensate for what's lacking. And so you'll increase in more knowledge. You'll plug in and serve more. You might give more. You might do things that are more visible to other people that you might get the praise of other people that those people might say to you, wow, you have such a vibrant relationship with the Lord and yet you're going to know I'm an imposter. That's, that's what sin does in us. That's what sin does in me. Don't let it happen in you. When you, when you are faced with that moment where you're, you're, you're making a decision of, do I, I have this certain level of Bible knowledge and, and knowledge about God, but my experience, my life, my intimacy isn't matching that. Don't try to overcompensate and pass that knowledge up. You cannot make up for what, what's not there. Instead, it's the best advice that was given to me when I came here as a pastor, um, one of the previous pastors here who also came here quite young, I was coming in at 29, and he said, Justin, the best gift you can give to this congregation is to be who God has made you at 29. Don't try to be more than that. At 29, there's life experiences that I haven't had yet. At, at 29, there's things I've not, I've not learned to appreciate that I may have later. And it's like that with our relationship with God. We might think our, our, our Bible knowledge and say, well, because I know this much, I therefore should should be on this level of intimacy with God. And for Bible college students and for seminary students, for people who spend their life studying the Bible, this is the hardest, one of the hardest challenges we face, is not to pretend that we're somebody that we're not, but to be honest and open before the Lord and say, this is where I'm at, and not to try to fool you into thinking that we're beyond that. But when I, by the power of the Spirit, strengthen in my inner person so that Christ's roots are, are, are going deeper and wider in me so that now I can comprehend the vastness of God's love for me. As I just live that, as I just live in that, I'm going to be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm going to grow in maturity to all that God has for me in Christ. Now, if that seems like an overwhelming prayer request, 
it is. That I mean, that I might grasp the, the vastness of God's love for me in Christ. I mean, the creator of all things who, who has created humanity and humanity has rebelled against him because humanity thinks they can do things better. And yet the very God who created humanity and whose now creation is rebelling against him, out of love, he then takes on the form of creation, submits himself to a life lived in a sin-ridden, broken world, and he, he limits himself by taking on this body so that he might live among us, live for us, die in our place so that we would not experience what's due us. But instead, God in his, his great love for us, he pours his wrath towards sin on the cross of Christ so that Christ now takes the sin that is mine and yours. And then God's judgment is now placed on Christ. He dies in my place. He raises from the dead, overcoming sin and death, a new type of spiritual life that's greater than anything that's been experienced. And now God says, now rest in him and you will have all that's his and he has taken all that you deserve. How in the world can I grasp that kind of love? I can't even scratch the surface of it. I can describe it. I can articulate it to some degree. But how do I experience that? It's overwhelming. And Paul knew it, which is why he did this next. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, God is able to do more than you would ever ask, more than you could ever imagine, according to the power that's already at work within us. Now, I was sitting at Iron Tree one of my favorite places to be, I'm convinced, like some of you, I keep them in business. And I, am, I think that's a worthy cause. I was sitting there Thursday studying for this and um, contemplating some things that lie ahead. And I get this text from a lady from Tinker Air Force Base that I'd worked with at the chapel. Now, I had not talked to her for a year and a half. The last conversation I had with her, I didn't even remember it. She reminded me of it. It was talking about dynamics at the chapel and we had talked through some stuff. Out of nowhere, she sends me this text, hey, you came to mind, I'm praying for you today, here's what I'm praying for you. And it was, some, some, I'm paraphrasing now, along the lines of do the things that God's calling you to do, have courage to do it, and oh, by the way, remember that God is able to do far more than you ask or imagine. And I'm going, no, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm like right there working on this right then, and, and then I get this text, I'm going, Coincidence? Yeah, probably not. A year and a half. I don't talk to this lady. I just thank the Lord. Thanks for that moment. Thanks for that encouragement. Thank you. And Paul says, God's able to do more than you can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Verse 21, and it's to him be the glory in the church. Remember that group of people that God's making in Christ. To him be glory in that group and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what a prayer that is. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask or think. Do you think it's overwhelming to, to consider that, that you're asking God, help me to feel your affection for me in Christ Jesus? Do you think that's an overwhelming prayer? It is. And Paul says, but God is able to do far more than you ask or you can ever think because of the power that's at work within you. 
And as we wrap this up, don't miss this fact. Once again, Paul's prayer is not you-centered, it's not me-centered, it is God-centered. And it is God-centered prayers that shape and change lives and reorient the directions of churches and of groups as they pray God-centered prayers. If our prayers centered more on me, on you, on ourselves, then we would be running this way when God's going, when you're ready, I'm going this way. God-centered prayers. So we pray to feel the affection of God toward you in Jesus. Now, we're going to take a moment here in just a moment and let that settle on us. And I hope you pray that prayer. But seeing that this is the end of our series, I want to put one, one other thing before you. Because it was asked of me this week, and, and I hope more of you are asking these questions, and it was good for me to be asked, what are you going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? All summer long, we've been studying these prayers of Paul and, and how we should be focusing our prayer and the types of things we should pre- be praying for. Now, we can just jump into the next thing we're going to do next week and be like, that's a good prayer on se- uh, uh, series on prayer. But what are you going to do with this? What are you currently doing this? What should we do with this? I hope you're asking that question. And if you're not, start asking it. God, what do you want us to do with this? What does it look like? What kind of groups need to come up out of this? What kind of people need to be getting together praying? When? How? What does that look like? Here's some of the things that we've seen in this this series as we've gone through it. and, And we talked about what should we be praying for. As we increase in love for others, we improve in praying for others. We were praying that God would increase our capacity to love so that I would improve in my prayer for others. We, we saw praying that, that God works in each other for growth, that is our spiritual growth, and for glory, God's glory. We pray for greater understanding of God's will so that we can live with greater intention for God. Last week, we saw that we should pray that the saved might know more the God who saved them. And then this week's. So what will you do in response to this series? What steps are you going to take to increase and improve in prayer? And then how are you going to help others increase and improve in prayer? So let's take a moment, let that all settle. Lord, show us what's for us in this today.
Father, I'm praying right now that you will help every one of us in this room to feel your affection for us in Christ Jesus, that we might know it in a way that surpasses knowledge. And that as that takes place, you will bring healing to some of the deepest parts of our lives, our hearts, where we might not even know there's hurt. And maybe we stuffed it a long time ago or there's so much darkness there that we can't even see light. Father, where there is anger in Jesus' name that you will bring freedom. That where there is unforgiveness and bitterness that in Jesus' name you will bring freedom as we experience your love for us in Christ. Where there is pride that you will bring humility and break us down so that we can feel your affection for us in Christ in all the ways that you would want us to experience that. And then, God, I'm praying that as we depart from here, as we experience and know your love for us in Christ, that that will then overflow from us just as it overflowed from the Father to the Son to the Spirit into creation that others might know this love that surpasses understanding, that it might bring healing to others and bring glory to Christ. Have your way with every one of us in this room, everyone watching or listening. I pray it in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.